0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Union Chapel. So glad you're here. I'm Greg Paris, one of the guys here. So glad you've chosen to be with us this morning. And God bless you for it. We are beginning a new series today on the Holy Spirit. We are using as our reference point for the series and in our small groups a book written by Robert Morris, pastor of Gateway Church in Texas, called The God I Never Knew. And today I want to talk specifically about Who the Holy Spirit is. We want to try to define who the Spirit really is, and I hope that'll be meaningful. Just before we read our scripture this morning from John's Gospel, chapter 14, I want to show you an update from last week, Easter Sunday. As you know, Union Chapel is engaged in church planting initiatives all around the country. We have a vision to plant 10 new churches in the next 10 years. We announced this just less than two years ago. And we're already up to five churches, and we'll plant our sixth church this fall in Nashville, Tennessee. And I wanted to show you a graphic from last week so that you could celebrate what God is doing. These five church plants that we've been a part of so far, City Church in Anderson, Indiana, that's our good friend Jay Harvey. Clearwater Church is in Fort Collins, Colorado, that's with our our former associate Randy Craning, who's relaunching his church in a new facility. Gulfside Church, of course, is in Cape Coral, Florida, Paul Arminger is leading that church, a former member of our staff. Pathway Church is is in Marietta, Ohio. Ryan Miller is a dear friend, and Pathway's Church is about two years old now. And this fifth church you have not heard about. Rising Hope is a new church that we are helping launch right here in Muncie, Indiana. And Rising Hope is actually associated with the Wesleyan denomination, uh, which makes them like a first cousin to us Methodists, and so they're all good. And Kim, Kim and Mike Hewitt are starting Rising Hope, and they had their first kind of an intro service on Easter at the fairgrounds last weekend. They will launch in earnest their church uh, this fall. And so they met last week, and we wanted to tell you that in those five churches, our, the attendance was 2,282 people, and 150 people made a decision for Christ. Now that's why you, that's why you want to clap right there. That's all good. That's amazing. Yeah, we're very excited about that. And then when you add our attendance here at Union Chapel last weekend, we had almost 4,400 people in attendance in the churches that we are associated with. So it's uh, very exciting and thank you for your support and your prayers and I know you feel good about that and we're thrilled about it. We believe that this is just the tip of the iceberg of what God's going to enable us to do in reaching more people for Christ. So uh, thank you again for for your help. All right, today's text is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. These are the words of Jesus. I'm going to read verses 15 to 21. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word if you're able. Thank you for doing that. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. and show myself to them. May God inspire and encourage us through his word today. You may be seated. Thank you so much. John's Gospel, chapters 14, 15, and 16, just to give you some context, these are final words of Jesus with his disciples. These are in the hours, the moments, leading up to the Last Supper and then on into the Garden of Gethsemane for that season of prayer just before the arrest and the crucifixion. So these are words that Jesus is giving to his disciples and you could could identify them as famous last words. And so they are important words in that regard. Now look at John chapter 14, verse 16 on the screen with me. And Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Now note the last phrases of this verse and the personal pronouns. I I want to emphasize that. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? The first thing that we need to identify and make clear is that every time we find a reference to the Holy Spirit in the Bible, he is referred to as a person. The Holy Spirit is never referred to as an it, as a thing, as some kind of energy field or force field of some sort, some energy cloud. He's not referred to in that way, but always referred to as a person. Now, this is important for us because, first of all, he fits right into the Trinity. Christianity is a Trinitarian faith. We believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a person. He has personhood, he has personality, and so he relates in the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It also means the implications are that he can be in relationship, which means that you and I can have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Any person can have a relationship with any other person as long as there is personhood, personality, And that's what exists. So my invitation to you is to consider the notion that the Holy Spirit is a person and that you can have a personal relationship with him. Look at John chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. Again, Jesus said, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Again, John 15, 26. Look at it. When the Advocate, the Helper, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, I will testify. He will testify about me. John 16:7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. One more time, John 16:12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now, but. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So here's the translation of all those verses in John's gospel. We need help. There are things we need to know, things Jesus wants to say to us. There are things the Holy Spirit will speak to us, telling us the things we need to know, and indeed things yet to come. And so here's the promise. Jesus is saying to us, as he said to the disciples, look, I'm going away, don't panic. I'm going to send someone in my place. I'm going to leave you now, but don't worry. I'm sending an advocate to fill in for me. I'm leaving you and you won't see me again. But be at peace, because I'm going to send you a helper, an advocate, someone to come alongside of you who will teach you all the stuff you need to know. And so that's what we're hearing from this text. Now, what we learn about this word advocate, which we see in all these words, or we see translated helper, uh, it's a Greek word that that is pronounced "paraklete," "parakletos," and it, it simply means one who comes alongside of. Para means alongside. We use a word like paragraph, and this is just a series of sentences that come alongside of each other to form a coherent thought. So a paraclete is the one who comes alongside of us to help us, an advocate, an intercessor, a counselor, a comforter. These are words that are used to translate paraclete. When I hear the word comforter, that comforts me. I don't know about you. I like like the feel of that. I like the emotion of it. It reminds me of years ago when we were still out in the Cornfield Church that the parishioners out there in the original Union Chapel Church actually made, the women made Beth and me a quilt. And it was beautifully handmade, lovely quilt. And in the, and in the um, seams of this quilt, they actually embroidered the names of all of the families in the church. Isn't that, isn't that thoughtful? Isn't that great? And they gave it to us, and they were just proud to give it to us, and we were honored to receive it. And we took it home, and now I'm thinking, now that is a practical gift. And she put it out on the bed, Beth laid it out on the bed, and I said, that's perfect, fits perfectly, that's going to be great. And the reason I was so enthused about it is because back in the day, we lived in a church-owned parsonage, so it was a home the church provided to us, and we were thankful for that. But we also learned the first winter we were here That while we had a roof over our head, uh, we had to pay the utilities for the house out of our salary. And we had this electric ceiling heat, this cable ceiling heat at the time. And so every room had its own thermostat. And when it got cold, we turned up the thermostats in all in all the rooms in the house to warm it up. And we discovered that the cable ceiling heat, at least back in the day, made the electric meter spin like a fan. And the first month we got the bill, we thought, oh. And so we had to decide whether we were going to eat or we were going to stay warm. And so we decided we were going to eat. We had one room in the middle of the house that was 10 feet by 12 feet square, 120 square feet. And it had its own thermostat. And we turned the heat on in there. But the rest of the house had no heat on. (laughs) Our boys to this day freeze out their own families now because they, they can't sleep with the heat on. You know, when they were little, they just said, Dad, I'm freezing. I said, put a sock cap on. You know, you'll be fine. Jump back in there. Get another blanket. And this is how we slept. And if you wanted to get warm, you had to go into the little room. Uh, That's where everybody did their homework. We watched TV in there. We did everything in there in a a 120-square-foot room. The whole house could have been that big. It wouldn't have mattered. We weren't leaving the room. It was the only place that was warm. And so I thought, man, this is going to help keep us warm, and this quilt, and so we brought the quilt home, put it on the bed, looked beautiful, and then it became, it got to be bedtime. I went in there, and the quilt was gone. I said, "Who stole the quilt?" And this is this is a male perspective of the world. Men, you understand, men do not lose things. We don't misplace things. If it, if it's missing, it's been stolen. Who stole my hammer? right? Who stole my rake? Who stole the remote? Beth says, yeah, right. Someone broke in, went right past the expensive TV and the jewelry and all that stuff and stole your remote to the TV. Yeah, that's what happened. They stole it. (laughs) Now, all of the men in the room right now, I'm just telling you how we think. We're still wondering who stole a quilt off the bed. But all of you women in the room, you know exactly what's going on. You know exactly what's happening. I I said, who stole the quilt? And Beth stood there looking at me, and she said, and I quote, the quilt is not for use. That's for show. We have towels like that in our house. You can use the towels in my house. I can't use them. They're off limits to me. They are guest towels. They're not for use. They're for show. One time I got out of the shower and the towel wasn't where It's supposed to be? Someone stole my towel? Let me tell you what's true of you when you get out of the shower. You're naked and you're wet. I open up the cabinet and there were these beautiful towels. So fluffy, plush, fresh. So I took one. I'm drying myself off. Beth comes in, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Well, I I said, I don't know. I I don't know what I'm doing. I I was naked and wet. I thought a towel. No. We have plates in our house. I can't use them. You could use them if you came by. I can't use them. They're for show, not for use. It's my mother's china, right? Can I get a witness? Now, there's a point in all of this. Here's my point. I want to put it on the screen so you don't miss it. It's a very important point. The Holy Spirit is not for looks. He's for use, not for looks, He's for use. He wants to empower us and infuse us with his presence, his wisdom, his strength, so that we can live the Christian life with vitality and purpose and substance. Yeah, not for looks, for use. Yeah, personal relationship. Three things I want to share with you this morning that help us identify who is He? Who is the Holy Spirit? Here's number one. Write this down, it's to help you. He is my helper. He's my helper. Now, the Holy Spirit helps us in a million ways. But here are, just, here are a few ways. For example, he helps us to pray. We don't always know how to pray. One time I was praying with someone. Maybe this has happened to you. They asked me to pray for them, and I prayed for them right in the spot. And a thought came into my head, a verse of scriptures. I was praying. And I just used that verse, incorporated it into my prayer. And the woman stopped me and said, that's amazing. I was just reading that verse this morning in my prayer time. She said, I opened my Bible and there was that verse and I just read it this morning. I can't believe you've used that verse, same verse to, to pray for me right now. It's so wonderful. I don't know, how, how is that possible? And I said, well, that's because I'm a very special person. <laughs> and that's how, No, see, <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> that's not right. The, that was just the Holy Spirit dropped that. Maybe that's happened to you. Something like that. Just a thought. That's the, the Spirit helping. Sometimes the Spirit will say, Uh, help us not only know what to say but sometimes what not to say you ever got that kind of that feeling you know that little check when you're getting ready to say something and you go maybe you shouldn't say that you ever gotten that you know at the end of the day the spouse comes home and you're both tired and so forth and something crosses your mind I'm gonna I'm gonna say something and then that thought I wouldn't go there if I were you This, this is what happens all too often with us after we get the prompt about what not to say. When uh, we open our mouth, we say, I know I shouldn't say this, but and then you say it, and then you go, as soon as you say it, you go, What was, what was wrong with me? You shouldn't have said that. Holy Spirit's trying to help you. Look at John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. Jesus said, When he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness, and judgment. Then he gives an explanation of those three things. About sin, because people do not believe in me. And about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where he can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And so these are three ways the Holy Spirit helps us. Number one, through the conviction of sin. The reason that God convicts us of our sin is to help us to know our need for a savior now no one likes being convicted for our sin you know it's it's a it's a it's a bad feeling it's a it's a very provocative kind of thing nobody likes it it's not fun it's not pleasant it's oftentimes sobering but let me tell you what else it is it is really good it's what a great thing because when the spirit convicts you of your sin it's just a reminder hey turn away from that and turn toward god it's a wonderful reminder that we need a Savior. I was converted. I became a Christian. I made a decision to follow Jesus when I was 16 years old, and it happened one night. I went to a special event at the, at the church, and there was a, a series of people who got up and shared their story of their faith journey, and one of those persons was a 15-year-old girl, and she told about her relationship with God. And and this was someone my age, and I identified with her. And she was talking about a relationship with God that I knew I did not have. And when she shared about the intimacy and the depth and the, how, how compelling her relationship with God was, I realized, wow, I don't know anything about a relationship with God like that. And this is what God used to begin to convict me of my sin. So now a couple of hours passed during this meeting. And this burden of guilt and shame and condemnation is getting heavier on me. And I'm under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I have this sense of lostness. And and that, that I'm in a precarious place. That if I would die in my current condition, it would not go well with me. And it was very sobering to me. And I found myself, you know, kneeling down at an altar that evening... And I was confused by it. All I knew is I needed something I didn't have. Uh, But I couldn't articulate what it wasn't. But there was someone there to help me. And and he, he looked at me and he said, Have you ever invited Jesus to forgive your sins, to become your Savior? I said, No, I've never done that. And he said, Well, that's what you need. That's what you're feeling. And I made a decision to follow Jesus. Thank God for the help the Holy Spirit gives us By convicting us of our sin. Yeah. Another thing he helps us with is righteousness. Because I'm going to the Father. So the Holy Spirit will establish us in right standing with God. That's what righteousness means. Right relationship with God. The Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to just bridge the gap and go right right directly to God now. He helps us with that. And then concerning judgment. Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And this simply means that the Holy Spirit reminds us, postures us into an awareness, an understanding that Satan has been stripped of his authority and power over my life. He has no more place in my life because he's already been judged. Yeah, so these are just ways that the Holy Spirit helps us. And as I said, there's a million other ways the Spirit helps us. Now, that leads us to the second thing. Who is he? He's our helper. But second of all, he is our friend. Write that down. He is our friend, and you can see in your outline in parentheses, and he's not weird. He's not weird. Now, here's the problem. You've all seen people, maybe up close, maybe people you know personally or on TV or something like this, you've seen people in the context of of an activity of the Holy Spirit, and they're acting weird, weird behaviors, and it kind of throws you off, kind of puts you off. Let me give you some perspective on this. This will help you. So listen to me carefully. The people that you've either seen up close or from a distance acting weird around the activity of the Holy Spirit, listen to me, these people are weird all the time anyway. You could take the whole Holy Spirit experience away from them and they're still going to be weird. I'm serious. Some people are just weird. In fact, some, some studies suggest that one in three people are perceived as weird in the world. Let's do the survey right here. Look at the person on your right. Just look to the right. Are they weird? Uh, how about to the person to your left? Are they weird? No? Neither one of them? Well, one out of three. Weird. And see, I just made that up, but that's not true. It's actually one out of two. Yeah, or weird. Yeah. I want to make the point. I'll put it on the screen. This is an important point. Look at it. You can be a completely normal person and believe in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Completely normal. When I was preparing this sermon, I thought, well, I'll just use myself as an illustration. <laughs> that won't work because, well, you know why. But I thought my wife, she becomes a perfect illustration. My wife, Beth, perfectly wonderful, delightful person. Everybody loves her. And she, she's just normal. And she's the kind of person you like to know. Let me, just, let me just say for her, she has a very deep and intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. She and the Holy Spirit are in communion all the time. Every day. All the time. And she is perfectly normal, and has a personal relationship with the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So he's our friend, and he's not weird. You know, there are some denominations, some traditions that are all about the Holy Spirit, and some of these traditions, uh, you know, they they, they kind of get to the margin, they get to the edges, to the fringes of of behavior, and it gets a little weird and. And I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just saying that this happens. And sometimes they establish rules and lots of regulations and a lot of do not do that. So you got, you got entire groups of people with, where there's no dancing, no dating, no movies, no jewelry, no makeup. None of that stuff is, is possible. And then on the other end of this Holy Spirit culture, uh, you, you have in tra- traditions and denominations that go just in the other extreme where there's lots of dancing, you know, in the Spirit and lots of jewelry, and, and, and everybody's rich and prosperous, and, and the women wear too much makeup. You can see the problem. Well, I mean, think about it. If you're a young man trying to sort this out, okay, pastor, I want to be a person who has a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and these are my two options, you can see that it's confusing because a young man, for example, he's going to go, look, i got to pick one group where there's no makeup and the other group where there's too much makeup, and all that means is no matter who I marry, They're going to be ugly. And (laughs) nobody wants that. Nobody. So what's happened is you can see that the devil will twist and distort a beautiful and wonderful opportunity for a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. So the devil has made us afraid or at least reluctant to consider a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we need to get past that. We need to get past that. Let me just remind you that on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, this is in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, we see the first time that this promise is now fulfilled. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is with you and will be in you. And these people are filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And they spill out onto the street and things start happening through their lives. Someone asked the question, is the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles or is it the Acts of the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. Yes. And what we see throughout the book of Acts are thousands and thousands of people who are coming to a meaningful personal relationship with Jesus Christ through the preaching of these men and women who have been filled with the Spirit. And miracles are being performed. People are emotionally and psychologically and physically miraculously healed. I mean, people who are, who are lame from birth, getting up and walking. People who are paralyzed and carried around by friends, getting up and carrying their mats home. People totally blind, haven't seen in their lives, suddenly are able to see. It is a remarkable thing. Miracles are happening. Demons are cast out of people, people who are completely disconnected from reality, out of their minds. And because of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, these people are liberated and returned to their right mind and sent home as normal. Whoa. Even the dead are being raised. It's an amazing thing. We must not develop immunity against these things. We must not vaccinate ourselves in the name of any other term. Decorum, properness, correctness should not keep us from a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Some of you are historians and you know that in the last 120 years there's been a phenomenon on planet earth that hasn't happened for many centuries when there was a reintroduction of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, an invitation given to God the Holy Spirit to come once again and to help us. And it happened around the turn of the century, 1900 to the 20th century. So around 1900, there was this bubbling up of the work and presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's taken root and taken taken momentum. And here's what we know, for example, uh, in the continent of Africa... In the year 1900, there were about 3% of the citizens of the African continent who were Christian. Now, fast forward 120 years. Today, that number is 43%. Over 400 million Africans on the continent have come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ in the last 100 years, primarily dependent on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing thing. Now, you won't hear this on CNN or NPR, but, but in Central America today, people are coming to Jesus faster than the birth rate. Did you know that? That's also true in a couple of nations in South America. In the Asian nations, there's a phenomenal move of God. People are coming to faith in record numbers in places like China. And in Central Asia, Kazakhstan, for example. South Korea is kind of the the iconic example of what God can do in a nation when you turn God loose. And the Koreans are famous for their prayer and their dependence on the Holy Spirit. And there's an amazing move of God there. And not only is God reaching people in South Korea, but South Koreans are going all over the world to preach the gospel. I have been in I don't know how many nations of the world in my life running around with Christians and missionaries and looking for places to preach the gospel. I've been in lots of places. I have never been anywhere in the world where I haven't met the South Koreans preaching the gospel. It's amazing. The largest single congregation in the world is in Seoul, South Korea. There's one congregation that has 800,000 members. <laughs> the largest Methodist church in the world is not in America. It's in Seoul, South Korea. It's a church that's pastored by a personal friend of mine, doctor Sundo Kim, Bishop Kim, and his church has 85,000 people. His local church is bigger than Muncie. <laughs> and he's just got a little church in Seoul, Korea. I sit next to Bishop Kim every year, twice a year at the Asbury board meetings. I'll sit with him in May. In just a few weeks, I'll be sitting right next to Sundo Kim. And I'll be sitting there, and I'll say, Dr. King, and then I, he's praying. He prays all the time. I'm messing with my neighbor. He's praying. I'm trying to take notes. He's praying. I do this a lot around him, Dr. King. <laughs> Who is this guy? Has 85,000 people in his church. It's almost surreal. I mean, you just can't even can't get your mind around it. But these are people dependent. Someone said it this way. There has never been a militaristic, a non-militaristic, non-political movement in the history of recorded humanity that has influenced more people more quickly than the activity of the Holy Spirit in our world in the last 120 years. It's amazing. You don't want to turn your back on that. You don't want to go, well, that's not for us. You don't, you don't want to say, well, I don't... You know, some of the, sometimes that gets weird, and I don't, don't want to be perceived that way. I'm much too proper for that. Hmm. Mm. No, no. Right in the middle of your outline, I've given you four things that is a great help to us. One is power. The Holy Spirit will give you power to witness, to share your faith with others. The Holy Spirit will give, will give you love in your heart. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13, he said, listen... You can prophesy, you can preach, you can perform miracles, you can have faith great enough to tell a mountain to cast itself in the sea and the mountain jumps into the sea. He said you can have that kind of thing. You can even give your life as a martyr for the faith. But if you don't have love, it's all negated. People people in some traditions want to talk about the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit and they want to refer to one particular gift. Listen. Listen stop it. This is precisely what makes people weird and odd and goofy. Stop it. It's not helpful. Rather than talking about some evidence or initial evidence based on a particular gift or whatever, how about let's talk about the benefits. God will give you power to be an effective witness. God will put love in your heart. This may be, if you want to Look for evidence. This may be the grandest evidence of a spirit-filled life, that you just love people. You love everybody authentically. How many of you know that it takes God's help to love some people? Yeah, so you find yourself loving everybody authentically. That's amazing. Help. Thank you for the help. And then there are the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. How many of you need more of this? Goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, discipline yeah yeah these are benefits of the holy spirit and then there are gifts and we'll talk about some of those too in the series there are about there are 20 some gifts depending on how you count of of the holy spirit that's great it's wonderful it's a benefit it's a help to us so he is our friend he is our helper and here's a third point just who is the holy spirit last last point i want to make he's my god he's my god He's my helper, he's my friend, not weird, and he's my God. The Father is God, the Son is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Now, if you have a problem with that statement, then you've got got issues. Christianity believes in a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me give you some examples. John 14, 16. Look at that on the screen. I will ask the Father. Jesus said, I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate. There, all three. John 14, 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. All three. John 15, 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. All three. Perhaps the best example in the New Testament of the Trinity being involved in the same event was the baptism of Jesus. Look at Luke 3:22. 3, 3, and the Holy Spirit descended on him, Jesus, in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven, the Father. You are my son whom I love. I'm very well pleased. The Holy Spirit is God. Here's another example. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, had sold some property and lied about it. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Next verse, Acts 5, 4 you have not lied to men, but to God. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's my helper. He's my friend. He's God. Let me give you one more, one more story. We'll be done. Some years ago, I was in Clarksville, Tennessee, preaching for a friend there in, in a Methodist church. And at the end of the service, the first night, I'd invited people to come forward if they wanted prayer, special prayer for anything. And there was a couple young couple that came they were about 40 years old and they knelt down at the altar and I went over there with the pastor we were praying for people and I just put my hands on their shoulders I was praying for them I don't I didn't know them didn't know their story never met them and I heard just in my mind a thought came in my mind which I believed was from the Holy Spirit and he said I've given this man gifts of healing and, and so remind him when he prays for people to be healed that he should be bold and confident that God will use him to extend his healing grace to people. Okay, so I said that to him, just whispered it in his ear loud enough for his wife to hear. And as soon as I said those words to him, he broke down and began to weep. And he was just sobbing there and his wife was dabbing tears. And she finally composed herself and I, I just bent down and she said to me, You don't know this, but my husband is a physician. And he's been praying for months about whether he should pray, personally pray, with his with his patients when they're in his office. And now he has his answer. Now listen, the person who told me that about this this man, this physician, he's not weird. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. And he's loving and patient and kind and gentle and merciful. And he wants to be in relationship with you. And so that's the invitation in this series. Robert Morris said, It's the God I never knew. You know, no one ever told me these things. And so we're going to tell you these things and invite you into this kind of relationship. Well, let's pause and pray about these things as we conclude. Now, when we get to the end of our services every week, we always want to ask this question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? What are you saying to me? So just take a moment. Ask that question. What are you saying? And Holy Spirit, thank you that you're not weird. You're wonderful, loving, patient, kind, merciful. And your mission is to honor God the Father, glorify Jesus, extend help to us. So we pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would meet each one of us at the point of our need. Speak to us. We need a word. We need your wisdom. Heal us today. We need your touch, your healing grace. Make us whole and well healed in Jesus' name. Restore us. We're broken. Our relationships are strained, weakened. And resource us. We need favor in our current jobs and opportunities for new jobs or different jobs, financial resources to meet our needs. And forgive us, oh God, we need your forgiveness. And Holy Spirit, thank you for convicting us, for reminding us that we are in need of a Savior. Maybe you're in the room today and when I share that little anecdote from my own story about Experiencing the conviction of the Spirit. Maybe, maybe that's something you're experiencing right now. You weren't anticipating it when you came in the service today, but you're aware that your sin has separated you from God and the Spirit of God is helping you. It's saying you need a Savior. You need to say yes to Jesus. That's the greatest need in your life. If that's true for you this morning, I want to pray with you. I can, I can help you. I can assist the Holy Spirit right now. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you'll, just, if you'll pray it in your heart, pray it in your mind, as I say the words, God will hear your prayer. Here it is. Father, forgive me for all the things I've done wrong. Come into my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for making me a new person for giving me a fresh start and for including me in your family. Thank you for saving me. And for all these things, Lord Jesus, we say thanks. In your holy name we pray.